Welcome to the Jim K. Ford Sends Nation podcast with Steve Warren and the coach, Greg Kennedy. All right, welcome to the show. Here is what's happening in Sens Nation. On Hockey Day in Canada, that great annual event to promote this obscure winter sport that's so underappreciated in this country. The Sens fall to Anaheim. It's another great performance with nothing to show for it. You had Tyler Ennis continuing to impress. Mark Kastelik with his NHL debut. What is up with Josh Norris? And Jake Sanderson scores an absolute beauty before jumping on a bird to Beijing. All still ahead here on Sens Nation, and we appreciate you joining us. Of course, it's brought to you by the good folks at Jim K. Ford. Pleased to be joined, as always, by the coach, Greg Kennedy. How are things, Greg? Things are good, Stephen. It's, uh, it's a Sunday as we record this. It's playoff Sunday, NFL. The final four. It's going to be a good afternoon, evening, I think, huh? I would say so, yeah. Uh, I'm looking forward to something to blot out what happened here in Ottawa over the weekend with this big uh, truck convoy and the honking downtown and some of the ugly stuff that we saw come out of that. I think majority of them were relatively peaceful, but then you start talking about respect level for authority. You start talking about some of the things we saw with Terry Fox, the statue being defaced. Um, there was a lot of frustrating things and things not to like about that whole convoy thing. So a nice distraction with football today. And of course, some sense hockey as well. We saw, uh, like I say, part of Hockey Day in Canada, the Sens falling to Anaheim. I mean, do you agree with me in my headline off the top? Like another really good performance with absolutely nothing to show for it. Yeah, but it, the same old, same old. Uh, Anton Forsberg seems to have developed a pattern now of allowing the first goal early in a game, and it's not a good one. And I'd even say that the second one wasn't a good one. Um, frustrating from that sense, but you outshot a team 45 to... 20, 20. Wasn't it? like 45 yeah. to 20 the, the Carolina in the last 13 minutes and 12 seconds had one shot on net like come on fellas you I understand Anaheim? sorry Anaheim. <laughs> Anaheim. I understand that you're undermanned but they just couldn't find a way to manufacture a goal out of all that that was frustrating like yeah you had bad goaltending but you still only managed to score one I, I feel the same way. I think the bigger picture is you only get one goal. I don't care if you've got Vasilevsky, whoever you believe is the best goalie in the game right now. Uh, it doesn't matter. If you get one goal, you're still going to lose 95% of your games. You're not going to win games one nothing very often. So I think that's the bigger issue. But not really that surprising that the offense is starting to go a little dry now given the caliber of the guys out of the lineup. Batherson, Norris, um, Connor Brown, um, I mean, you, you take it back to the start of the year with Shane Pinto. I mean, there's just this team could be so much better. Like, you only have X amount of opportunities where the puck falls in your stick the right way where, you know, guys have opportunities. And you want the best of the best to get the bulk of those opportunities. And when the best of the best are up in the press box watching, that's not helping anything. Yeah, but it's, it's also frustrating. I, I feel for Brady Kachuk. You know, he, he tied Yorkie's record again. Uh, in the Carolina game, another 12 shots on net, and he's now set a new personal worst, I guess, for consecutive games without a goal. You know, Stutzla kind of guys that are are offensive guys or guys that can produce, the less help there is around them, the more pressure they put on themselves to uh, carry the load. You know, we, everybody likes to talk about, well, it's an opportunity for somebody else to step up. Well, you know what? It's also an opportunity for the guys who are already up to step up higher. And unfortunately, it just it hasn't been going in for those guys either. 
to your point about Forsberg and the trend, which has not been a good one of late, in his last four starts, three games now that he's got uh, a really shaky goal. You go back a week Tuesday and that first goal against the Buffalo Sabres, which is a very similar outcome where, uh, you know, it gets him off to a bad start. Uh, But thankfully, Tyler Ennis very quickly after that first goal got them right back in it and he really continues to impress. He's now got four goals in three games and what a special goal that was. Yes, a nice headman pass from Lassie Thompson, but the thing was about, I don't know, foot and a half off the ice. Ennis knocks it out of the air right onto his tape and absolutely wires one past John Gibson. Gibson was unbelievable in the game, but on that one, Ennis got the better of him. And I know we talked about it in a couple of episodes ago about the future of Tyler Ennis. If he continues showing that level of skill between now and the end of the season, could he play his way into a job? Yeah, and I said at that time, he's he's one of those guys where it's going to depend on on uh, what kind of money he's looking for. He's probably one of those guys that you wait uh, when free agency opens. You take your run at the, the type of higher end, higher roster spots that you that you want to take a run at, and uh, you kind of wait and see what happens with Ennis. And if he doesn't go back to Edmonton for what, like his fourth or fifth trip there, then then maybe he's still available a month or two into free agency. And it's not going to cost you very much. He's a guy who moves up and down your lineup. He does have some offensive flair. Um, he can bring a little bit to a second power play unit. And, and by all accounts, the, the players love him. He's a good guy. So, yeah, well, if, if he's there and at the right price, uh, that's, of course, assuming you don't get an offer that knocks the doors off for somebody looking for him at the trade deadline this year. Then if he's there and the price is right, then he's probably somebody they would look to resign. He is such a tweener when you think about him. Four straight one-year contracts. So I think that's how the league perceives him because really he's not the prototypical bottom six guy in that he doesn't have immaculate defense and he's certainly not that physical. He's so small. Um, and he's certainly not a guy that's consistent enough offensively that you know, a prototypical top six guy. So that's kind of what, what I mean when he's a, a tweener. But in these circumstances... He's a great luxury to have because most bottom end guys don't have the skill level of a Tyler Ennis. So he's looking very comfortable going up and playing with some of the skill guys up front. So in these circumstances here for Ottawa with half of your top six out, Tyler Ennis is a boon to have in the lineup. Yeah. He's a guy. It'll be interesting. You know, I I would say after the trade deadline, uh, maybe, maybe we do a show and we, we discuss, okay, what does the forward core look like for next year? And, and where does he fit in? Because you've, you've hit the nail on the head. He's not really a, a top six. Is he a middle six? I'm thinking your third line here next year is some sort of combination of, of uh, Paul and Watson and maybe Sanford and, and maybe Connor Brown fits in there. Maybe it's a Castellic. Maybe it's a, a Pinto, obviously. So do you really, is, is Tyler Ennis a fourth line guy? Well, that's a whole other different animal, but fourth line should probably be younger guys that that can play and and will develop and get better so it's something we'll have to look at after the trade deadline let's figure out who's here who's not here and what it looks like moving forward the idea of mark kastelik would certainly parlay into a pretty decent looking bottom six guy someday but uh, with all the injuries and such he made his nhl debut for that game didn't play a ton didn't have a big impact on the game per se but uh you know had some good shifts 
and he got to do the hot lap beforehand. And I was thinking about that this morning, that neat lap that rookies get now, because initially that thing was meant as a team prank, like a fun prank where they send the rookie out first in the whole train of players coming out of the dressing room. And then they, the rest of the team puts the brakes on as the rookie goes out all by himself. It's evolved though now into what is kind of a special moment for these kids. Part of the whole galvanizing of the NHL dream come true. I've, I've become a big fan of that, that hot lap thing. And it's certainly better, Greg, and you've been around a long time around the sport. It's certainly a lot better than some of the brutal rookie hazing we used to see <laughs> back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're, you're absolutely right. It, it, uh, in the, it, I'd say as, as recently as maybe f- three, four years ago, you probably still caught half the guys uh, off guard, not even expecting, okay, buddy, you're the rook. You're going first. Let's go now. Take us, lead us out there, pal. And then they yeah. all stop. You probably yeah. caught half the guys you did that to. Oh, what's happened now? Oh, damn. You know? But now it's become a thing. I, there are probably guys playing junior hockey, draft picks, wherever, dreaming of the day they get to have their hot lap. It's, it is kind of cool. You're right. It sucks that there was no fans there. He couldn't even have his family there. Uh, you know, I feel bad for the kid doing that. But uh, but you know what? He probably still loved every minute of it. And by all accounts from everything I've read and his comments on it, he was pretty excited to be here. Oh, yeah, no doubt. And I mean, it's become an honor. And I think the kids would be devastated if they didn't get an opportunity to do that hot lap now. So I think it's become really part of the whole uh, rookie experience. So that was a neat moment. What was I? I wasn't as big a fan as DJ Smith was asked by Gord Wilson after the game about Castellick's performance. He said he was, he was happy with it and he didn't get a chance to play much because we were kind of chasing the game, trying to get back in the game, looking for a goal. And that's not who he is. And I thought that was an odd thing to say in a kid's very first NHL game. He's probably right. I don't expect Castellick to be an offensive threat in the NHL, but. I would never say never. The guy had 85 goals in his final two years in junior. So it's not like he's void of any offense. And it just seems to me like, what's the point of saying something like that about a kid in his first NHL game, basically dismissing him as that's not who he is goals. No, that's not who he is. Why even bother saying that? Well, I think it's just yet another example of something coming out post game in a scrum that doesn't come out. And if he had a chance to, to look it over and say it again, he'd say, something along the lines of first game in the NHL, a young kid never scored a goal in this league. We're not looking to him to score a goal late in the game, so that's why he's not getting the ice time, right? I mean, I think most of us are intelligent enough to, including you and I, I would hope, to read into exactly what DJ's getting at there. I don't I don't think that would affect the kid's confidence. He had, he played the least. He played 6-22. He was minus one. Um, you know, he'll probably play a little more next game, a little more the next game. We'll see where he's at in in a week or so. Yep. Yeah, you're probably right. I hope that, that he hasn't pigeonholed him and decided that uh, this is what he is and uh, blah, blah, blah. But uh, you're probably right. God God knows I've done about I, 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 20 years of sports talk radio, whatever it is, 25. Um, there's some things out of my word hole that I'd like to, to hold back. <laughs> yeah, there's there no question go. about that. Um, Jake Sanderson, obviously, is going to be kind of interesting to watch him in Beijing with Team USA. He had one last game with North Dakota here on the weekend, and oh my God, what a goal he scored. Another reminder of uh, of what the Sens fan base has to look forward to with this guy, and uh, probably you, you figure, based on what you're seeing and hearing, that he gets into the lineup this year at some point. 
after the trade deadline, after North Dakota is done and never comes out of the lineup? Yeah, I, I, I think so. He's he's going to, the, but then again, we're dealing with DJ Smith. We're dealing with the Ottawa Senators. Um, their track record with young kids this year and last year has been slow but steady uh, and not giving them a lot of minutes. Uh, we're just started sort of seeing now, Lassie Thompson's up over 20 minutes his last couple games. Uh, what happens when Brandstrom comes back? What happens with JBD? You know, basically it's been those three fighting it out for a chance to dress and play regularly. Well, then what happens when you add Sanderson to that? I think this is another thing. I mean, I hate to keep saying this, but this is a let's wait till the trade deadline. Let's see who moves out and let's see what the scenario is in the standings and how they feel about things. And, and then we'll have a better read on it. But uh, it's specifically to Sanderson, uh, his one knock out of his draft year was offensively, maybe not the most offensively gifted guy in the draft. And that's why people were touting Drysdale ahead of him. People were saying Byram for the year before is another is it has an offensive side. So it's been really nice to see that sort of that part of his game really develop. But how much of that is due to confidence? He's older than everybody. He's got more experience. Not everybody, sorry. He's older than a lot of guys that he's playing against. He's got more experience now. So how much of this offense is just due to the level that he's playing against? And how much of this offense is like, wow, the kid can bring some offense. We'll have to wait and see. Yeah, it's interesting to see whether he'll be balanced or favor one or the other at the NHL level. It's really difficult to say. And part of that will be who he's paired with. Um, Thomas Shabbat obviously can deliver, although he's not doing too much this year offensively when you think about it. Uh, um, I mean, the guy's 21 points in 38 games, which among NHL defensemen right now puts him, I believe, 36th in the league. And that's not quite where you want a guy that you're paying $8 million on such a long-term contract to be. It's not like Shabbat is immaculate defensively. It's it's really his calling card is moving the puck and offense. And wouldn't you say statistically that's well off of where you expect Thomas Shabbat to be at the stage in the season? Yeah, I, I would say that. And, but then we have to look at all the other intangibles here. How much of it is, is uh, I mean, we're discussing who plays, who Sanderson's going to play with. Well, who does, who does Shabbat play with? And lately, he seems to be the designated look after the kid spot. Like, his right side partner is, has been JBD or Lassie Thompson. So he's probably changed his game in that sense. Uh, the whole team was terrible in the month of November. So uh, there are a lot of factors here as to why his offensive numbers probably aren't the same as they should be. The power play was not good to start the year where you think he could rack up some points. Last game there, he played almost five minutes and he only had six minutes of power play time. So he gets the power play opportunities. But I, I just, I, I said this on the show a couple of weeks ago and actually got some, some Twitter hate because I actually said, I thought that Branstrom from an offensive standpoint brings more than Shabbat. I wasn't saying Shabbat was, or sorry, Branstrom was a better player. I was just saying that offensively speaking, imagination, creativity, uh, fleetness, uh, moving pucks to certain people at the different spots and doing things offensively, uh, that, that Branstrom was maybe better than Shabbat. And I still feel that I, it just, uh, Thomas Shabbat's game is move the puck to the right person at the right time. And then what they do with it affects his point production. I don't dismiss that idea. I just, I just haven't seen Brandstrom at his best yet to figure that out. I don't feel like he's there yet, but he's certainly evolving and getting better and better each game. So if you have the perfect defense partner for Thomas Shabbat, like, is it like the Eric Carlson effect where he was at his best with Mathot or before that with Philip Kuba really two guys who had absolutely no aspirations of getting into the offense 
or trying to get points or anything. They were clearly stay-at-home guys. Is that the ideal scenario, or do you want someone maybe with a little offensive flair that can play off of Shabbat? Well, I think it comes down to Zub and what type of player Zub's going to be. And then it, it, well, we know what type of player he is, sorry. What type of player is going to push Zub? What type of players are going to come along to play that right side? And and if it's if it's a JBD, then that fits more into your Mathot uh, mentality. If it's a Sanderson, maybe it's more of an offensive guy. If it ends up being Zub, then it's, then it's yeah, he can be more creative offensively. I think Thomas Shabbat is intelligent enough to read scenarios and situation who's he playing with and okay do i be a little more offensive with this guy i'd be a little less offensive with that guy i think it comes down to at some point in time when the senators finally have six real live national hockey league defensemen who belong in the league and can play a regular shift every night it'll come down to then and there who are we going to play him with and then his game will go one way or the other based on who his partner is but i think long term i think the best spot for him is with zoo I just I've always thought that I just think that's the best place for him and if that's the case then yeah he could be more offensive yeah I like him in a situation where he can be well whoever he's with I want that person to be so capable that at no stages is Shabbat changing his game or thinking about oh that guy's there I gotta change what what my instincts are I have to do something different than my instincts because that guy is not quite up to snuff whether it's defensively or offensively I want another star over there, so it's going to be uh, interesting to see who the long-range guy is. I would say most Sens fans would say, absolutely, Zub looks to be that guy at this stage of the game. Um, So what about Jake Sanderson? What are you expecting from him in Beijing? Is he likely to be, because this is a level we haven't seen him at. Uh He's been in the the NCAA ranks for a couple of years. He's been at the World Juniors, and he's thrived at both of those levels. What? It's hard to know, right? Because the, yeah. the, there's such a mishmash of talent and ages. How do you think he'll do it in Beijing? I think he's going to do great. I, I think he will probably be their best defenseman, uh, both offensively and defensively. I think he's probably the guy they're going to count. He's the guy that's going to play the Thomas Shabbat minutes if the coaching staff uh, decides that that's the way they, they want to doll out the minutes. If they want to identify one guy as the main guy and give him over 25 a night, I think that Sanderson's the guy for that from a conditioning level, from a skill level, from an intelligence level, from a playmaking abilities, I think he's the guy who can just carry that team to whatever sort of success they're going to have. I don't think they're going to have a lot of success, mind you, so he may be playing a lot of empty minutes, but uh, I think he's going to be their number one guy back there. How do you see it? I think that given the skill level you see at the World Juniors, like that's best on best at a certain age, I don't think there's anybody who's saying this is going to be best on best. So I have to assume that Jake Sanderson is going to thrive at this level, though it will be interesting. You're probably going to have a lot more guys that that are out there with, you know, in as, as you know, in peak physical condition, like man bodies and such. There'll be a lot more of those types of players out there who will be in there probably a little harder on the four check, making life a little more difficult for Jake Sanderson to go back and retrieve. Everything's going to have to be uh, processed a, a lot quicker, in my opinion, but uh, time will tell. Not not quite clear on that because I, I'm not going to lie to anybody and be insincere and say I know jack squat about all these rosters. Even Team Canada, I'm looking at it going, what? Yeah. What? Ooh, what? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, we'll take a time out of the program. When we return, we will discuss um, Team Canada looking for – well, they're not looking for a new head coach, but uh, head coach Claude Julien, of course, uh, local – 
local coach uh, that everybody loves in this town. Uh, he's not going to be Team Canada's coach after all. We'll talk about Evander Kane and the Oilers visiting on Monday and uh, Josh Norris. His status still unknown coming up after these words. If you're worried your vehicle might not make it through another winter, then drop into Jim K. Ford, your Ottawa-certified pre-owned Ford dealer. They remove all the worries with a 12-month, 20,000-kilometer limited warranty coverage, vehicle history report, purchase financing rates from 1.99%, 24-hour roadside assistance, and more. Now that is peace of mind when you're buying a vehicle. Check out jimkford.com, 1438 Uville Drive in Orleans. The Jim K. Ford Sends Nation podcast. So weird about Josh Norris, right? Uh, I tried to play a doctor in our last podcast, a podcast doctor, and, and I declared that I didn't think it was a shoulder because he kind of went in flush, back of his head and his, uh, and his back. But uh, his, his, his arm did get pinched in there a little bit, and turns out I was absolutely wrong. It sounds like it is a shoulder, but there's no update. There's no further update on Norris. Still no time frame on his possible return. DJ Smith says we might get something in the next couple of days. And uh, I, I guess we have to figure that that's a positive, though, in that if it was something pretty clear cut that was going to keep him out long range, we'd probably know about it by now. Oh, for sure. Um, uh, yeah, I, I didn't think it was shoulder either. Like I even thought or I said at the time that I, I thought maybe he just got winded, you know, and he'll be back later in the game. And then I thought, okay, it's upper back. It's it's something in there because he he was pretty much flush back flat against the boards. But then I, <clears throat> excuse me, I read what you read. DJ Smith saying, you know, we're still doing MRIs and we'll get more back from the doctors. And but you're absolutely right. If it was something serious, it would show immediately. Like you could even you or I could see a broken clavicle on an X-ray or, or whatever. And it's not that, so that's a good thing. And a little bit of caution uh, doesn't hurt, I guess. I. I I hate that corner of the ice, though, Steve. I don't know about that corner down there. We got to set up some cones or paint a yeah. red circle on the ice down there or something. Well, yeah, it happened to Pinto and it happened to Norris, and then in in, in the game uh, on Saturday afternoon, Tim Stutzla is going in with Manson in that same corner, and man, did he ever come close? Oh, so close to losing an edge with the same level of speed. Like the same thing could happen once again. Uh, so yeah, as as somebody on Twitter called it today, it's the CTC's Bermuda Triangle. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I just I, we you and I were talking. It was funny. You, I, I had written a note, uh, the scare on Stutzla in that corner, and I had that in all uppercase on my notes. And then I noticed on Twitter that you'd, you'd actually posted the picture of it. And then later in the game, uh, it was Manson getting injured in that same corner. There's definitely something wrong down there. Yeah, that is weird. It is weird for sure. And you don't want any more shoulder injuries particularly when you hear Colin White talk about his problem with a shoulder injury. Now, he didn't go in that corner back uh, the very start of the season. Might have been in preseason. And uh, he just basically fell awkwardly. And uh, he had an interesting spin on some of the things that uh, that were bothering him during his rehab process in the early going. Uh, driving stunk. I couldn't drive for a month. Even on my phone, I couldn't use my hand for a while. The one I was going to say is wipe my ass. Oh, excuse me. But like, I couldn't do that. Like, that was the worst part. <laughs> I couldn't. That was legit the worst part. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I had to say it. <laughs> I, yeah, it makes sense, doesn't it? Especially, yeah. it, it. go ahead, try it yourself tomorrow. See if you can do it left-handed. 
Yeah, it's not it's not comfortable. I've been down that road with a shoulder injury before, but I was a little shocked because Colin White to me seems always a little reserved and stoic when he's dealing with the media. It was almost a brand new Colin White. Like if you told me he'd had a few beers before that news conference, I'd have believed you. Or maybe something's happened in his rehab process where he's just glad, so happy to be back at the rink and around the guys again, and he is skating again. Uh, that uh, that maybe that spilled out over into the news conference, but that was a very different. Colin White than we usually see, in my opinion. <laughs> well, maybe he's lightened up, he's relaxed, and uh, maybe he's going to come back and tear the league apart his last month and a half of the season. You couldn't ask for a better opportunity for the guy. Um, there's there's obviously pressure on him that that uh, has been put on him through no fault of his own, I guess. They put a contract in front of him, and he said, oh, yeah, sh- yeah sure, I'll sign that. But uh, you got to live up to that now. So maybe there's he can he can relax and, and get some extra minutes now get get some up elevated in the lineup when he gets back uh with all the other injuries around him and and who knows maybe he's going to he's going to finish strong and and try to try to i don't know prove that he belongs here even though both of us believe it's a buyout option in the in the end yeah i i i can see the club keeping him around for a, maybe one more year because they're not exactly you know, at the unparalleled success level yet. So rather than just buy this guy out and and basically pay for having nothing, maybe, because I still think there's a chance that he's inside your top 12. Give him a chance to be that uh, going into camp next year. So I think there's a real possibility he could return for one more year, but he's got to show something because lately it's not been too much. This should have been a big year for Colin White mm-hmm. to kind of uh, show the club what he can do. But uh, obviously, it didn't work out very well. It is his birthday today, uh, by the way, as we record this. Ah. And also Thomas Shabbat's. And one of the quirkiest birthday things there's been in club history, both those guys, Thomas Shabbat and Colin White, both 25 years of age today and drafted the very same year, three draft picks apart back in 2015. Shabbat went 18th overall. Colin White went 21st overall. And I believe it, I'm not sure they are anymore, but at one point, they were roommates. They're certainly great friends. So that's a kind of a neat, quirky birthday stat. So happy birthday to both gentlemen today from Sam's and Nation. Which one of them was the Leonard deal? White? Colin White was part of the Leonard deal. Yeah, that's right. The Leonard deal got you the first rounder from Buffalo that you took Colin White. <sighs> yeah. Well, let's not get into that. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> we'll say the die is not fully cast, but yeah, oh, I'm not optimistic. Come on. Not fully cast. Not okay. Fully cast. Fine. You don't think there's more there? There's a chance to be more I there? Just, potentially? I just don't okay. see it. I don't right. see it. Uh, like I said, I mean, I'm trying to be upbeat and positive here, thinking that, yeah, he's, he's going to have an opportunity. The sooner he gets back in, the, he's going to have a nice opportunity here to, to show exactly who and what he is. Um, and hopefully it's before the trade deadline and he comes in and tears it up for a little bit. And then you've got a tough decision to make. Oh my God, look, this is the real Colin White. Do we keep him? Do we trade him? Do we buy him out? What do we do? You know, yeah. that would be a nice decision to have here. Let's just hope that it's not he steps into the lineup and does diddly squat and it's like, oh God, now what do we do? You know, that that would be the worst potential outcome. Certainly there's a possibility White might be back before the end of this season. And uh on the Drake Batherson front, one would wonder if that's gonna happen or not. We shall see. But they did say he'd be out for months after that. Cheap shot from Aaron Dell and the Buffalo Sabres, interestingly enough, almost right after Aaron Dell got suspended for three games, the Sabres placed the guy on waivers. And I'm sure that uh, there were no shortage of fans in Sens Nation that were going, good, I'm not sad to see that at all. 
Uh, it may have been a case of, uh, you know, they're just getting some healthy bodies back in Buffalo, but he's been placed on waivers. And, uh, hey, you were talking about it. You know, maybe there's yeah. a chance for a Belleville war. Let's check our schedule. When's the next Rochester-Belleville <laughs> game? I'd be interested. Is is Aaron Dell going to be like uh, like Jamie McLennan here, whose, whose career ended while he was still suspended? He's still got three games left to serve. Is Aaron Dell ever going to get back in the NHL? He went from the Leafs to San Jose to Buffalo, I think is the route so far. Uh, you can't make it in Buffalo. Uh, I don't know that there's many stops where you can't make it in the NHL these days. He might be done in the NHL and, and never serve that suspension. Dell was San Jose, Jersey, Buffalo. Don't think he was oh, ever a Leaf. Why did I think the Leafs? Why did no. I think the Leafs? Not sure. Not oh, sure. I stand correct. My mistake. Maybe you had Toscala on your mind. I think he did a Toronto-San Jose thing. Um, anyway, Claude Julien. It's unfortunate for him. He is not going to be coaching Team Canada in Beijing. Feel badly for the guy. A simple slip on the ice. And uh, this happened when they're training over in Switzerland. And at practice, he slips on the ice, sustained fractured ribs, and he's not going to be coaching Team Canada after all. Jeremy Colton, who most recently... Uh, coached in the NHL with the Chicago Blackhawks. He is going to take over now as the head coach and uh, disappointing for Claude Julien, huh? Yeah, that sucks. Poor guy. Um, he does have a gold medal, though. I believe he was, he was part of Bab's uh, staff uh, in Vancouver, I guess he was. He was an assistant coach for that team, so he does have a gold medal from a, from an Olympics, but it, to be, it was his opportunity to be a head coach. Here was his opportunity to, to pull like a Gerard Gallant and, and and get his name back out there and have some maybe have some success and get an opportunity to get back into the NHL. Uh, I feel for the poor guy, but man, and and he ever had a rib injury, Steve. Those things hurt. You you laughing is is the worst. Any type of movement, so he's not going to be able to even get on an airplane for a while. Probably he's going to have to recuperate first. But Culleton steps in, and and who knows? I I, I don't know that. Uh, like I don't. What are the expectations for this team? <laughs> All right. Like what we got to, maybe we need to do an in-depth analysis or are we just going to watch it and hope to be pleasantly surprised? Yeah, I don't know. I, I, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we follow the, I mean, it's, you want to clone yourself sometimes and, uh, and watch uh, all the levels, but who, who has time to be an NHL fan and then on top of that, be an American Hockey League f- fan. And then the, a lot of these Canadians play over in the KHL. How much have been, who's been watching KHL? So anybody that comes at you, I mean, I, I think the people that will be actually doing the play-by-play will do all the research and homework yeah, because it's part of their job, obviously. But for everybody else, I find it kind of insincere when they start talking about you got no shot or you're a freaking contender or whatever. I think we all go into it kind of blind. One c- cool story, though, is it Adam Cracknell? Did you read about him? No. He, was, he had signed to play for the Kunlun Red Star there in China. Um, with the long-term idea of being you play here and eventually you're going to be in the Olympics and play for China. And uh, when COVID hit, he didn't end up going. So he ended up re-signing somewhere in, in North America to play in the American League. And now, bang, he's on the Canadian Olympic team. So he gets to go to the Olympics after all. Good for him. Fantastic. Some of the names on the team, for those who have not seen it, you've got guys like Eric Stahl, Josh Hosang, Owen Power, of course, the number one overall draft pick. Landon Ferraro, Ray Ferraro's kid. Uh, Devin Levi, who is uh, he won a, was World Juniors a couple of years ago with Team Canada and the Carlton Place 
Canadian's goaltender. Um, so that's a name that people know. David DeHarnay is in there as well, former Montreal Canadian. So there are certainly some names in there. Um, Eric O'Dell, he's a guy who's a local kid, and he's played at the Olympics before. So, so certainly some interesting names in there as uh, we get ready for Beijing 2022. Uh, but too bad for Claude Julien because I'm sure that he was looking forward to that. And uh, yeah, you're right. It's always good to get your name out there. If you're still holding NHL aspirations as a head coach, you want your name to be out there and uh, be top of mind when general managers are thinking, okay, boys, who are we going to bring in as a head coach? And if you're looking at the highlights that morning and there's Claude Julia talking to the world, don't kid yourself. That's, that's going to slip into people's uh, subliminal notions about things. And so it's important to be out there. And unfortunately it's not going to happen in Beijing for Claude Julian. So let's wrap it up today by talking a little about Evander Kane and the Edmonton Oilers. They will be here on Monday night. And uh, that's probably not a very good thing that I'm saying Evander Kane and the Oilers like Connor McDavid <laughs> and Leo Dreisaitl. They might be uh, they might be a little concerned, concerned about that reference. But Evander Kane scored once playing with Connor McDavid as the Oilers beat up on the Montreal Canadiens. I saw a reference to something along the lines of, well, of course, Evander Kane is going to do well in a game like that. He's been playing nothing but American Hockey League talent of late <laughs> down with the San Jose Barracudas. Yeah. Uh, but uh, what are you expecting from Kane? I'm sure there's lots of fantasy hockey leaguers that are grabbing that guy left and right right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I watched the game, Stephen. Actually, it's it's on right now. I can see it over my shoulder here. It's a replay. Um, he, he looked really slow. Like, man, he looked like he was, he even said it himself, like skating in quicksand out there, jogging on a beach kind of pace. Right. Um, but yeah, he, he gets his legs under him. He's the type of player that can get some some time and space for uh, for McDavid. He's the kind of guy that can bump and grind down low and free up pucks for McDavid. But then he also has the hands that if you put a different type of uh, guy on the right side with them, who's going to do the crashing and banging, he's a guy that can finish. Like you, you look back on the, the years of like how many different guys did Sidney Crosby have to play with over the years? How many different guys has McDavid had to play with over the years who just aren't a true finisher? This guy is. So how many times has McDavid been frustrated with feeding a pass to somebody who fans on it or couldn't finish, uh, couldn't score a goal to save his life, and now he's got a real true goal scorer, a sniper with him. So I, I think, I don't know, eventually he's going to be really good and get better with practice, with uh, familiarity built up and, and the, the kind of things that he needs to do to develop some chemistry with McDavid. Let's just hope it doesn't happen too soon for the Sens. Well, the Sens do get them at the wrong time because the Oilers with that win have now won four in a row. So maybe they've uh, found their mojo once again, but that's happening 7.30 at the CTC as the Sens take on the Edmonton Oilers. And apparently the Sens, I guess, are starting to petition the province, trying to get some fans back at the game. I don't know. Do you feel like that's going to hold any water with anybody? My, my feeling is over the weekend we saw with this – big truck convoy, the freedom convoy. I saw so many law breaks in the process of that. It was kind of ironic to see the Ducks Sens game 1230 on Saturday afternoon, completely empty. Meanwhile, at the Hill, there must've been, I don't know, looked like about uh, the, at least the equivalent of the number of people in a full CTC that were all jammed in together on the Hill with bullhorns and honking of horns. Um, seemed a little ironic that that was happening. Yeah, and the restrictions are loosening effective uh, mon this Monday, I believe, in, in other areas. So who knows? Maybe something's going to come of this. Um, 
I don't know that the lobbying by by uh, Melnick and uh, LeBlanc is is doing much. I think it really comes down to numbers, and it comes down to the to the uh, the health officials making a decision based on numbers more so than anybody barking at them or yelling at them or trying to negotiate something. Just a little bit of patience, and, and hopefully it won't be that much longer until we uh, till we can put some people back in the seats. One hundred percent. Okay, that's a good place to call it quits for the day. Ladies and gentlemen, we really appreciate you being with us today. Our next episode's coming up on Thursday. Greg, enjoy the NFL action today, and we'll talk to you in our next episode. For sure. Thanks, Steve. Thanks for being with us on the Jim K. Ford Sens Nation podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and review. Share the show with your friends and followers, or become a member on Patreon. Check out our website today at SensNationHockey.com.